My name is Eric McCoy and I am high wall clean. In 2014, with the passing of the Affordable Care Act, the treatment industry changed drastically. And for what some may define as good, because everyone at that point in time was able to receive treatment because insurance policies were required to include that in their policies. While others defined it as a nightmare, as greed took over and fraud basically became the norm. Treatment programs started seeking out people and offering to purchase insurance by paying for premiums. In a lot of ways, this was to fill their beds. And in some cases, these providers would offer financial incentives for coming into their programs by offering cash if they stayed. Drug dealers began opening up rehabs because of the money that they saw that they could get. Refers and referral companies began giving financial incentives to people to enter treatment programs as these referrers were charging thousands of dollars to programs for giving them clients. Safety and ethics, they were thrown out the window as providers began breaking the law by committing insurance fraud. And in some cases they were billing for services that weren't being offered. And they were even charging for people who weren't even in their program. Now I can attest to everything that I just mentioned because I watched a lot of these things happen. For everybody who was a witness and said nothing, you were part of this. You know, I spoke to a district attorney about these things, and I was given the response that, you know, we're too busy to looking into other programs. And most likely, we're not going to be able to look into this one. I spoke to the Department of Healthcare Services, and I was informed that unless I can definitively prove it, they couldn't do anything. I closed a program in Lake Elsinore because I wasn't willing to pay for my clients by these, what I would define as dangerous referral companies, which almost seemed to be the only way that you were able to secure clients and to pay the bills to ultimately stay open. And I gotta say, I was defeated. So please stay tuned as my guest today Dave Johnson. He was an owner of a treatment program who was raided by the FBI and the Riverside District Attorney's Office. He was charged with many different crimes. Did he do it? Was he a culprit in these schemes? Do we trust him? Will we ever trust him again? His story that he tells isn't what he was accused of. Did the DA wrongfully charge him and commit crimes to make their case as he claims? We're gonna to talk to him in a minute, stay tuned.
2018, David Johnson, who was the owner of Southern California Detox, was charged with 30 counts of insurance fraud. Prosecutors claimed that Dave Johnson had illegally double billed over 90 health net policies and he pocketed over $250,000. The FBI revealed evidence showing that Southern California's detox's address as the address for the patients and allegedly paid the initial premiums for 62% of the policy holders using his own personal credit card. HealthNet, according to them, would not have paid the claims if they had been aware of the treatment center's cost-waiving practices. The insurance provider requires all patients to pay 50% of their deductible before the insurance kicks in towards out-of-network providers, which is what Southern California Detox was. Dave, I want to thank you for joining me today. All righty. Good to be here. <laughs> okay. So uh, as we spoke on the phone yesterday, uh, we kind of did this because I know you want to tell your story. And I know you want to get your story out there about what had happened and what had transpired. Before we do that, I do want to ask you again a couple of tough questions um, that are just sh very straightforward. Number one, did you set up policies and pay the premiums of your clients? I did not. I did not do anything with the insurance companies. I never communicated with them or anything of such matter. Um, but what I would do is uh, we do have to be resourceful and being in the industry to helping clients the best we can. As the insurance companies have claimed that they would not pay unless 50% of the deductible had been met. Did you waive deductibles for your clients? What I did do, some clients, if they didn't have the monies, we had a hardship uh, 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 contract that they would promise to pay if the, when they got their lives together, got out to start working, they'd start paying some back. Some of them paid it as they were there. Some of them did pay a little bit. Some of them did jobs around the house or around the facility, supplied uh, materials, um, uh, tree service or whatever to, to, to resolve some of their deductible. The insurance companies never really ever ask you, have they paid their deductible? They don't know. The money doesn't go to them. It goes to the treatment program. So I don't understand why it even matters to them if the deductible is paid or not. It's no hardship on their part. Because that money would go to you anyways. So you're, yeah. lo you're losing out is what you're I'm saying. losing out. Okay. That would be my gamble. Now, a bunch of the charges that were filed against you had to do with double billing. Did you double bill any of the, the insurance companies for the policies of your clients? No, never did. When we went from a sole prop to becoming an S corporation, you, you are... When you become, a, when you change entities, you get another NPI number. You, you, you know, going from a sole prop, you have one EIN number, and then an S corporation, it changed to an, to an S corporation NPI number, which on a certain date that the IRS establishes that date is the day that takes on from. HealthNet failed to see that. What we do is we fill out a facility, a facility profile sheet. That facility profile sheet is what the insurance goes by to to know who they're working with. If, you know, Southern California Detox, uh, Soul Corp, Soul Prop, 
um, and then when they give the MPI number, which then will stop on that date and become Southern California Detox Treatment and Recovery Services, which gave us an S corporation with a given NDI number. HealthNet, when we sent that in there, they did not disclose that the, the sole prop number. They continued to pay on it. These clients are there for a period of time, anywhere from could be 10 days to it could be six months. So you're saying that your original NPI number that you had billed for, you billed out on that, and then you changed to an S-Corp. Right. But they still paid on the initial NPI number and paid on the S-Corp number? Exactly. Exactly. So, but how did they, how did they pay on an S-Corp number if... Did you bill out in, in that one also? No, no. The clients, the clients that were on the, uh, that were on the, um, there was a client there. Say, okay, we'll give it a 30-day period. Say in a 30-day period. Say on the 15th, we get a different NPI number. Okay, that client's NPI number on the payout, HealthNet just sets it up like, I don't know if it's done by computer or how it's done, but how they do it but they're paid out on that. And then the new NPI started and we started different clients on that, but somehow their computers or however they paid, picked up the NPI number and started sending checks on the other NPI number, which my billers noticed. My billers noticed this was happening. And we said, and I've told them numerous times to let them know what's going on. Call them, it's gotta be corrected because I'm having to pay this back. Now, as far as tax purposes, it's showing I'm making this much. Now I got to pay this much back. It's messing up my taxes. So I was, I was firm about it. In, the, in this whole period of time, HealthNet is not paying me, which in their own policies and procedures, they claim that they pay 90 days after a client leaves the facility. Within 90 days, they make their payments. It's satisfied. They did not do that. This all continued because of this. Then they prompted, they said they were going to do an investigation, requested 20 files. I took the files to my attorney, let my attorney deal with their attorney. Their attorney was uh, uh, Greg Blumenthal, uh, Bloomgarden, that was his name, for a health net. Um, and uh, uh, we talked to them and they, uh, uh, we sent them the files. They sent the files back. They could not find any errors or any mis any misinformation. Everything was done correctly. So, so any of the money that you got double paid, did you pay that money back? Yes, I did pay. I was paying it back as fast as I could pay it back. So how did they charge you with, with so they didn't actually charge you with taking the money. They just charged you with the double billing. Exactly. Right. Another issue that comes up and has to do with incentives. Did you pay incentives to your clients to come into the program? It wasn't so much an incentive. That wasn't the idea behind it. The idea behind it was in the welfare of the client. Was a lot of times what I find being, I've been doing this for 20 years and I hear it from multiple different facilities that when clients get released from a facility and they're done with their treatment and everything, they have nowhere to go. They have nowhere to look at. They have nothing. 
they're out there and they're just blind and they go right back to using. So um, I did try several different tactics. It wasn't um, to try to benefit the client the best I could. Uh, one of them was, you know, that uh, um, I'll, when you leave here, if you complete successful and you do well, you get a job. We also had a job placement. We worked with the job placement place. I worked with the Salvation Army that after they left the program, they had an option to go to the Salvation Army for six weeks free living, you know. So they had, so I tried to get as many um, resources for them as possible. So this wasn't them coming in the door and you saying, okay, you complete the program, I'll give you $2,000. Um, we did try that for a minute. But it did, but that ended up becoming a mess. So we stopped that whole deal that way. That was apparently was the wrong way to go about it. But that still has nothing to do with help that. Remind me really quick, what was the name of the district attorney? Uh, that was Paul Abasi. Paul Abasi, yes. Uh, yeah, he was an investigator. Okay, so Paul Abasi was an investigator for the the Riverside District Attorney's Office that was involved with the. Uh, task force that was investigating the different treatment facilities for fraud and, you know, all the things that went along with that. So he raided your facility one time. Yes. The initial time. And when he showed up, he had a search warrant, correct? Correct. And what was on the search warrant? Um, it said that uh, on a search warrant that they could uh, well, pretty much take what they wanted to take. You know, whatever they felt they needed to take. Um, client files, um, to my computers, uh, which left me in trouble with the clients that I had in the facility because I didn't have files to keep records on. So. Now, for, for anybody to get a search warrant, there has to be evidence. There has to be something that's presented to a judge. So what was it that they had that they could present to the judge to be able to get a valid search warrant to search your property? Well, there was actually one of two things. I mean, there was uh, one was a, there was a complaint file. The complaint file from a uh, um, uh, client's mother, who the client, which I was leery and bringing in, and my staff really didn't want to bring her in either uh, because she was in her tri-semester tri pregnancy. Um, she had uh, been to multiple treatment centers in the past, and she wouldn't come in if uh, she was in her 20s, unless her boyfriend, who was in his 50s, was in the program as well. Um, she was in a tri-semester of pregnancy, like I was saying, so we got her through the detoxification portion of it. The mother didn't want her to go anywhere, wanted her to stay in the program. She, um, her 50-year-old boyfriend, didn't want her going anywhere. He was like kind of the sugar daddy and uh, was able to manipulate um, the program security and acquire some drugs, some heroin. And uh, she had used the heroin before a meeting. She was nodding out in the meeting. The staff uh, uh, called me and brought it to my attention. I told them to do what they thought that was in the best interest of the program. Uh, well, by the time I had arrived there, the, the f other female clients that were in the program were very upset, wanted to kick her ass, were words meant. They even had to hold a couple of them back. 
um, this was her second time doing this. So therefore she broke the rules of the program. She insulted everybody. And uh, uh, my staff came to me and said, no, she's got to go. I agree. I said, it's your show. You got to do what you got to do. So they told her she had to leave. So her and the unpacked up and sat in the garage for a couple hours um, until I showed up. They wanted to talk to me. And uh, I told them, no, no, the decision has been made. You got to go. You violated the rules. And uh, they left. The next thing you know, I get the mother calling me up, claiming that she had, that the daughter had told her, along with the boyfriend, that they told me that other people had drugs in the house and I didn't do nothing about it. And that I told them they had to leave for telling me that, which was a lie. That was the report that was given to the state. The state brought, on, brought it to the uh, attention of the uh, district attorney and the district attorney uh, kept that in his fold. And there was also another situation where another program, Best New Life, Reco uh, Best New Life Recovery had, uh, had uh, gotten raided. And uh, apparently she was doing um, some shady things apparently. I'm not exactly sure what it was, but they were at one point a sister and company that I helped start out until I, until I found out she was doing some wrongful things and we pushed away from them. Yeah, she was double billing. Um, what was her name again? Uh, Bob, uh, Bob. Brooke. 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 Brooke yes. Yes. Yeah, so but Brooke. her mother, we detoxed when she got the idea to start this. Yeah, so Brooke, uh, Brooke was double billing. And she. I believe what had happened with that case was there had been somebody that came to her facility that worked for an insurance company and had seen information that was concerning and had called the insurance company who then I believe reported it to Paul Labasi and that, and that crew. That was the information that I had gotten. Uh, but yeah, she was, she was uh, raided. She was convicted. She was sentenced. Uh, and then I believe she moved out of state. I'm trying to figure out, though, I don't understand. One of the things I don't understand, though, is why would the state contact the district attorney's office without them investigating you as being the provider for a substance abuse treatment program based on those claims? Because they never investigated it? I don't know. I think an investigation of, uh, with uh, uh, Brooke, because like I said in the beginning, we helped her get started. So I think they may be associated through that because they said something about, um, well, Robbie Kramer that was running my sober living house. Apparently I found out he was uh, taking clients to Brooke, to Brooke for a payment, you know, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever people called him and asked him about my program, he'd say, Oh no, no, I know a place to go. And he was taking it to Brooke. So come to find out, he was selling clients to her. I know you had, I know you had been arrested a couple of times through this process. So you were initially taken into custody. You posted bail. Is that correct? No, um, I was initially taken into custody. Um, not at that point. They took all the files and everything and they taken off. They kind of just left me standing there. And, uh, oh, about, it was about, probably about a month later, 
that the uh, uh, Paul Mbassi and an FBI agent pulled up and uh, I seen them pull up and I came out in the garage. I wasn't even expecting to get them. I didn't think I did anything wrong. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, okay, we're placing you under arrest. I said, for what? And that's when I first learned about the, uh, the, uh, these 29 claims of uh, fraud. So everything that you would quote unquote say that you did that might have been out of line with what's right as far as in the insurance company's eyes or things like that, you were doing in your belief in the best interest of the clients. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm making sure that when they leave my facility, they got someplace to go. They got a job. Uh, they uh, got to lead bettering themselves in some sort of way. You know? I mean, and if they didn't have it quite yet, I'd let them stay for free. And if, as long as they were showing me, they were doing the right thing. I mean, we've had clients leave our facility, um, several of them, that would come back just to come and see them sit, sit in on the meetings. You know, they were no longer part of the program, but they're more than welcome. I'm not going to turn them away. If they're keeping them sober, that's what it's about. Yeah, our, our goal, our, our job, again, ethically, is to always do good, never do harm. And always look out for the best interests of the clients. And that, I mean, that is what our main goal is, you know. Everything that was going on uh, was sickening at that point in time. You know, you had uh, people that were going into 12-step uh, meetings, getting people loaded so that they could sell them to a program. Yep. Um, it was absolutely insane. When I, met, when I met with Paul Labasi, and, and I'll tell you this, so, you know, and just for the listeners out there, I've known Dave Johnson for a long time. We have known each other for a long time. And, you know, and I had met with Paul Labasi about you on a couple of occasions that he had contacted me. Um, I also spoke to him also about, what's her name? The lady we just spoke about. Uh, Brooke. Uh, Brooke. And I'd spoke, you know, I'd talked to him about Brooke and, and Paul Labasi had driven actually all the way out to Costa Mesa where I was teaching at a school um, to meet me out, you know, because I was, you know, way away from Riverside County at the time. And when I was meeting with Paul, he was, there were certain things he wouldn't tell me about everything that was going on, obviously, because it was an active case, you know, that was, um, but he did kind of disclose a little bit as far as some of the charges that you were being charged with. And I told him and what I told him was, you know, obviously, I don't know about a lot of these things um, as far as you doing a lot of the stuff that he is accusing you of. And you know me, Dave, and I am I am highly ethical. Ethics are very important to me. They always have been. And. I told Paul, I said, you know, I said, look, I said, I don't know about any of the stuff, you know, as far as what you're accusing him of. But I did say, though, and I said, but I said, if he is doing these things and some of the things that you're talking about, I think he should go to prison. You know, and I and I told him that, you know, I just said, but I don't know, <laughs> you know, as far as uh, because for me, again, I love you, Dave. And I think, you know, you're a great person. I've, I, and I always know that you know, in all of the years that I've known you, you do care about people. You know, you, you do go out of your way to help people. And I know that, and I've seen that with you. Yeah. And 
I do believe that, you know, some of the things that you were being, you know, that we talked about here as far as like paying for premiums or waiving deductibles or, you know, any of this type of stuff that, you know, I know it's not a vindictive thing on your part, you know, to say, hey, I just want to screw the insurance companies and I want to milk the milk these clients for all the money they have. I don't yeah. believe that, you know, no, exactly. um, but there are some things that, of course, he did say that they were accusing you of that, uh, that I did say, look, I don't know. And I said, I'm not going to obviously be able to attest that he did these things, but I'm not OK with those things. So if he did, then, uh, you yeah. know, have at it. I mean, you, right. you should go to prison. Remember, I filed that lawsuit and we went through the, I went to the deposition. I filed a lawsuit against them. They tried, they sent me a $400,000 check. At that time, they owed me $1.7 million. They sent me a $400,000 check and said, okay, here you go. Obamacare. This was in 2016 now. Obamacare initiating that they're going to cover payments. But they were supposed to pay quarter, uh, 25%, which $400,000 was not even 25%. It was more like 14%. They sent me that check. They said, here you go. Okay, I'm going to start paying you. Here you go. And they sent me the $400,000 check. And then they ended it by saying, okay, so we're square. We're done, right? I said, no, wait a minute. What are you talking about? They said, no, by Obamacare, you're paid off in full. I said, no, 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 no. You paid me all year. I've been waiting to get paid. And I've been, I've been putting out of my pocket this company to, hold, to keep this program running, which my, which my mortgage was $38,000 a month alone, just to, more, just to cover the offices and the houses and just that alone. And, uh, and uh, so, I mean, it, it, it did drain me. So then uh, when that had happened, we went to, uh, um, I said no, and that's when I filed a lawsuit. They got presented with the lawsuit. Now, what had happened is a company named Centene actually came down and talked to me. There was three suits. I came to the door and they said, hey, we're Centene. We want to know, we're interested about your program. We want to know more about it. I said, okay, I said, come on in. I was cooking something at the time. And I was there by myself. And I asked him to come on in. And uh, I went into the office. I took the names of things, for clients files that were out, put them away. I told them, feel free. You can look around all you want. Check out whatever you want. And they did. They were impressed. They came out and go, oh, wow, you really got this buttoned up. And they, wanted, they said, we want to ask you a question. And I said, what's that? They said, would you mind working with us? We want to fill you up with insurance clients because we're trying to cut out the uh, crooked stuff that's going on between programs. We'd like you to kind of head it off. We want you to be the model, the model for the company. Would you do that? And I said, yeah, okay, I'll do that. They said, okay, well, we're going to go back to the company, call us, and it's going to take us two days to get there, and uh, we'll discuss how we're going to do this. That's okay. I'd be open to it. So they kick off. And two days later, I called up their office and they said, oh, it was right at that time is when my attorneys uh, uh, handed them a subpoena. So uh, about the lawsuit. And they said, oh, we can't talk to you no more. I said, why is that? And they said, uh, well, we merged with HealthNet. Hmm. And I went, oh, really? I said, oh, okay, we were just handed a lawsuit. So. Um, we can't discuss this any further with you. I said, okay, fine. Then when it happened, and this was in December, 
of 2015. Then what had happened is we went ahead and we followed through and we go to um, we go to um, deposition. We sat there in a, in a six hour deposition, me and uh, Mr. Blumen, uh, Blumengarten from HealthNet and my attorneys. We're going through the, uh, uh, going through the deposition and uh, I'm trying to figure out what it is they think they, you know, but what it is uh, you know, that where they really messed up because I'm trying to figure it out. I had emails on the computer of uh, one one of my billers because I fired the other billers because I, I didn't think they were doing the job because they didn't notify HealthNet of this change. So I fired them and I hired another set of billers. These billers tell me this biller uh, hesitated on telling HealthNet. So I don't know if that's true or not, but I have that in the email, um, which was one of my evidence, one of my pieces of evidence. There was a client named Jay, uh, he was there and at my facility. He started in the program in uh, 2018. Oh, wait, no, wait, I take that back. It was 2016, 2015 in the beginning of the year. I built the insurance, and this was common practice, for three months of his treatment services. He did the treatment services. This is nine months later. And they, the, the, I don't know how this happened, but the attorney just happened to pull his paper out. Out of all the clients and all the files they had, they pulled his paper out, and the top corner of that paper had two different EIN numbers on it, my sole prop and my other one. Granted, I built from January to March, and that was it. He was with me the rest of the year for free. And I told you, it pissed me off so bad, I got up, I took the mic off my uh, shirt. I was sitting with pneumonia at the time. And uh, I took it off, and it was six hours later. I was drained. I threw the mic down. I was upset. I told him I ought to come across his desk and strangle you. You're giving me the evidence against you right now. This is your paperwork, not mine. You're doing right here. You're showing me. Two different EIN numbers right here. And I know we had spoken about this, and, and you were you were telling me that you kept wanting to take it to trial. What I wanted to do, and they they were refusing that, according to what you were saying. Yeah, they, there was always an excuse: either the counsel wasn't ready, or my attorney wasn't ready. My attorney, um, I believe, helped. I believe helped that had their hands in this a little more than. Uh, being honest, there was a lot of uh, a lot of things really wrong with the case because I got OR'd. I got released on my own recognizance from the judge, um, and then a couple weeks, few weeks later, um, I had a couple move in that the police were watching, and they raided that they raided the house, and they had drugs on them. They were only there for two days, and I told them. They had anything on them. They can tell us, you don't do this stuff here. They were away. They came in. They got released from jail. Came in. They needed a couple of days for a place to stay to transition to going to a treatment center, the Gibson House, which was uh, which was waiting for a bed to open for them. And they had... Now, you weren't allowed to do treatment at that time, correct? 
No, I was uh, I wasn't allowed to deal with uh, insurance companies. So then you were OR'd, and then you were taken back into custody. Yeah, because they found drugs in the house. Because they found drugs in the house, and I'm the owner. And then that was the time where you ended up staying in custody for the rest of the time. No, I got released again. I bailed out on that one. Okay, so you bailed out, and then what happened after that? You were arrested again, obviously. Yeah. Well, before they released me, they actually didn't even release me the day I bailed out. They released me the next day because they had to go to the house and chase the transients out of my house. They were ripping everything off. And I was dealing with that, too. Okay, so what were you arrested the third time for? Okay, so the third time, I just went to court. I went to court. I had a court date. I appeared in court. And I had my briefcase with me with my evidence against the, you know, against the health net. And uh, things I can show the judge that, you know, that, that they were wrong. Well, the DA said, well, look, we got now these, now we got these 30 cases here. And he goes, and now we got him being, um, um, they're trying to say that I was biker affiliated, uh, uh, biker affiliated supplying Temecula and Marietta with drugs. Um, there was another incident that had happened to my SUV on the first on the first raid. They came by and they said, "Which one's your vehicle?" I put it at my SUV. Two days later, um, a black and white pulls up around the corner. I pull up on my on my on my motorcycle up into my driveway, and they tell me, "Get the fuck out of here!" Just like that, get the fuck out of here. I said, "What? Get the fuck out of here?" Okay, whatever. I'm leaving. So I left. And I went to my mom's house, which is on the next block. And I came back about an hour later. I came back and my SUV's gone. These officers were in the black and white, but they were dressed up in full test tactical gear when they got out of the car. And uh, so I called police and filed uh, the police department. I'm not, I don't know what happened to it. So I called the police and filed, uh, asked them if they knew anything about it. They said, no, there's been no reports. I said, I want to file for a stolen vehicle. Well, 10 days later, they send me a letter. They say, we have your, we have your SUV. It's in a police-only impound in Lake Elsinore. Next thing you know, two months later, I get a phone call from a Texas Ranger. We're going to be filing a, 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 a um, what do they call it, a, an indictment on you for transportation of drugs. I was like, what? I said, yeah, we found your SUV parked on the Texas-Mexico border with drugs. So we're going to be filing a, an indictment on you. And I get out of here and I hung up on him. I don't know whatever happened with that. But I haven't, I'm, they haven't come got me yet. So, But that was kind of the game the police were playing. They were sitting out in front of my house watching constantly. Uh, what did that have to do with getting arrested? Well, that, that that was just another tactic they were using. But then when I went to when I went to court, um, they said that they said that if the DA brought that up, and I was an investigation for transporting drugs, um, that uh, 
I was running a drug house, she said. That's not the drug detox house. She said, no, you're running a drug house and you got 29 charges and he felt that I should be held in custody. So they took my evidence away from me. They said I couldn't have it in jail. Took it away from me. So it took a while for me to get that back. Several people tried to get it back. My brother Tony ended up going down there and finally getting it back and handed it to my third attorney now, Terry Ganoff, which all of a sudden now, going through the court thing towards the end here, I needed to get my property back. Oh, it disappeared. Nobody knows what happened to the evidence. Just mysteriously disappeared. So, um, so that was another issue. So now all my evidence disappeared. So what was the so what was the final thing that happened? So you now you did you plead guilty to this? Yes, I had to because basically what they're doing is I was trying to get them to go to jury trial. My attorney is telling me things like, Oh, you expect me to read seventy thousand pages of discovery? Oh, um, I need more time. Your honor, I need more time. I'm going, I need to go to, I want to go, I want to take this jury trial. Well, I need more time. And the counsel too. I mean, the DA too. He was saying, you know, we're not prepared. I was filing rich from jail and it wasn't even making it to the judge. The DA was grabbing it. The DA even made a comment to somebody I had calling in there that anything that's written from Dave Johnson needs to pass my, uh, my desk first. So uh, the judge did get one letter that I got. He said it was illegal for that I sent him. That uh, he said it was illegal for him to read it. To that he was going to give it to my attorney, and I asked my attorney to read it. She refers to do so. She uh, tried to say that you know I needed to go see a psych. That maybe I was incompetent. Well, when I went and seen the psych, the psych, the one one psych, the second site I saw, psych. She was pissed off. She was mad. So your credentials are higher than mine. Because I'm going to go down there and talk to the DA myself. Uh, I guess she did so. Because I was right back in court again. With another delay. So, okay, so here we go. We're going to get back on track. We're going to get back on track. There's another delay. 34 times I was in court. And it just kept getting pushed off. Then COVID hit. Okay, we're getting ready. We're trial, trial, trial readiness conference. Um, was in February of tw uh, 2020. And uh, we were getting ready to go, and then COVID hit. Now everything got locked down. So now I'm in there, just sitting there, rotting away, basically. I broke my leg. I got steel plates in my leg. Um, I got blood clots, which I'm still dealing with now. Um, um, I, did, uh, I, I, I almost died in there. I had a um, blood virus. I ended up going to the hospital for 11 days, getting pumped full of uh, antibiotics. And uh, uh, so here I am, a high risk now. I'm a high risk inmate, but they're releasing everybody that's high risk and not me. They wouldn't let me out for nothing. They wouldn't, I went to several hearings, bail, uh, uh, bail hearings. They wouldn't lower it to make it affordable for me to get out. Although they had nothing on me, I only stood as excused. I, I, I was never convicted of anything. 
I was only sitting in their heads in the pews. And they wouldn't let me out because I had the lawsuit part of it going. And I was staying in contact with the appeals court. I was writing writs and filing, so I kept that going. So they found I kept that going. So they wouldn't let me out because I basically won the lawsuit. But the timeline, the timelines that it's done, oh, what was it coming? On 308, I think it is, where you have where everything's got to be done in a timely manner and recorded properly and submitted. I couldn't do that in court. I mean, in jail. So they basically, and so I, I, so I wrote to the appeals and asked them that uh, put it uh, suspended so I'm able to get out. So they didn't want to let me out. So basically, they were telling me that, well, as long as COVID's around, I'm going to be sitting in jail. And uh, then we're going to go from there whenever it resolves. It could be another year. It could be another 16 months. We don't know. And I was like, you know, I've already been sitting in here for six months. So, you know, longer than what I was supposed to. So basically, they said, uh, I said, look, okay, how about a deal? How about I just go ahead and just sign this up? Screw it. I'll take the loss. You know, and just get me out of here. And I said, okay, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap everything up in a ball. But while I was in jail, they were hitting me with more and more charges, too, of all different sorts of personating to collect, uh, fraudulent filing, um, impersonation. Um, it was uh, uh, grant theft. And then since they couldn't come up with an amount of grant, there was another one, too. And tried to say I was stealing precious metals um, out of a, uh, a water company, out of a water company. Um, but they had no evidence of me being there. Nothing was reported stolen. Nothing was found in my possession. I would, they, I would, they don't have nothing in me being there, but they charged me with it. And they said, since there was multiple, multiple, uh, uh, multiple times that this place has been hit, they said that um, in order, because we asked them, how are you coming up with uh, uh, grand theft? Grand theft is $950 or more. That's an awful lot of metal to be trying to pull out of it. And they said, oh, well, that's why we're giving free charges. They gave us free charges of grand theft. Said that it all accumulated together could be $950. Okay. So I couldn't even fight that because they said, we're going to wrap everything up and just call you guilty on everything and we'll let you out clean slate. That's the way they kept telling me. I said, okay, whatever, I'm done. Because I don't know how long I've been sitting there, another month, another two months. You know, who knows what's going on? I've been sitting there the whole time for no reason anyway. And I was trying to hold out to a jury trial. And now they're telling me it could be anywhere from a year, 16 months from now. We don't know until they come up with a cure for this COVID. So in October, I was like, okay, I had enough. Because we're on 23-hour lockdown. You're not out of yourself for 23 hours. So I just said, you know what, I'm done. I'm just going to get this done. I'm going to leave a state. That's it. So I signed it. They didn't even give me a deposition until after I signed I tried to get my deposition. I was screaming about it the whole time. They won't give it to me. They're telling me, oh, no, 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 oh, no, no, oh, no. 
My attorneys kept coming up with an excuse. Here, I'll show you. Right here. Matter of fact, here's the whole case. That thick. That's all they had. So my attorney was lying to me, telling me 70,000 pages of discovery, all this stuff. This is all they had. There's nothing in here that's factually anything. It's probably, I'd say, 25 pages. That's the whole case of everything. That's how ridiculous that was. They gave it to me after I signed everything on. Oh, here you go. And you were in there 16 months on that. Yep. 16 months. All trumped up lies. No evidence on anything. It was ridiculous. I went through five attorneys. I hired an attorney to watch my attorney. Cost me 15 grand. Well, you do know that some people listening to this are not going to believe you. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you've ever been to Riverside County, you <laughs> might make you a believer there. And there was a lot more than that that, when that happened in there that I've got other lawsuits on. So before we close this out, I want to give you an opportunity like I do with everybody. Is there anything you want to say that to, to listeners out there that you'd like to say that we haven't touched on? I don't know. Does, well, well, I'd like to say that, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's sad what the, the insurance companies are getting away with. Um, because now, I mean, clients can't even get help anymore. Uh, facilities are closing down everywhere because they can't support to stay alive. Um, look at here, look, look, for, look for a detox center. Try to find one. I mean, it's pretty bad. I mean, just today, today I walked out in the driveway. I got a guy passed out drunk in my driveway and I work for Clear Detox Recovery. He's begging to come in. He's got no coverage. People out there are dying. You got fent uh, fentanyl out there now. People are, uh, kids are dying all over. Yeah. Um, unless you're an, uh, an addict or a mother of a child out there that's, you know, that's suffering. I mean, maybe you don't understand what's really going on. But people got to open their eyes and see. I mean, that's it's not good. It's not good. You know, I, I, you know, I was watching all of this stuff transpire and everything that happened and went on and stuff. I, you know, I, I look at it from both perspectives. You know, it is absolutely horrible that insurance companies are now not paying anymore. And what they are paying is very limited um, for, yeah, and you're absolutely right. A lot of facilities are not able to stay open anymore because they're not getting paid enough to be able to keep their doors open. But then also on the flip side, I also understand it based on the things that, you know, we had discussed and, you know, the hundreds of thousands and millions and millions of dollars that these insurance companies forked out for fraudulent claims, you know, for at times they were paying for people that weren't even in the programs. And, that I understand from that perspective when I look at it. I mean, I, I, I think about it. It's like, how is an insurance company even supposed to stay open? 
when they're having to fork out that much money. So to me, that makes sense. But then again, on the flip side, I also do agree in the fact that, yeah, this is putting people's lives in danger. Yeah, I mean, I'm like you too, Eric. When they said they were investigating treatment centers, I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. Because there are so many people out there that were doing these patient brokering. And like I said, I felt victim to it too. Finding out that people that I'm working hard on, that I put my time and my heart into, turn around, they're just off making, you know, working with some other company, making, uh, screwing people over. I mean, the facilities pay for that too. There's, I mean, it's their staff, time, drugs, meds, doctors, things we got to pay for as well that we're not, we're losing on. We're not getting paid for that guy. You know, he just bailed. You know? So, I mean, it plays both ways. So when they said that they were going to do, that they were doing investigations, that's why I excused them not being able to pay me from first quarter. Okay, I could see they've got stalled. Great, take these companies out there, screwing people over. Because they're not doing no better than the clients themselves. They're out there killing the clients as well. You know, they're partaking in it. You know, when you got people like us that are out there really trying to help people. Well, hey, Dave, I want to thank you a lot for doing this. I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing your story and telling us, you know, a little bit about what happened to you and what had transpired. I want to thank everybody tuning in for another episode of High Wall Clean. Keep getting high, but let's do it clean. Talk to you soon. I didn't say it'll